If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got an awesome Thursday morning show for you today, including the great debate today about the supervised injection site in Yaletown. Now, this is without a doubt, it's been the most controversial facility for drug users in the city. Should it be shut down and moved out of that neighborhood? We have a fantastic debate on this today. Both sides of it for you. Do not miss that. Also, the latest on the continuing gong show over at BC Ferries, the sold-out reservations, the full sailings of people sleeping in their cars because they can't get on a ferry. I'm just checking out the BC Ferries website right now. And once again, as we speak, showing a nine-hour wait to get on without a reservation, which, of course, are all sold out. So the first available ferry to the island here, it says on the site, 6 p.m. Everything else is full. Now, there's also a warning on there, though. It says this could all be wrong. Maybe you could get on a ferry earlier. Maybe you won't. Uh, Maybe you'll have to wait till tomorrow. Basically, don't trust the information on the site, is what it says right on there. So we got the latest on that mess for you today. Okay, so we have all that. We've got lots more today. But first, we start with the skyrocketing rents in Metro Vancouver, the highest in the country. The new numbers just out. Check this out. City of Vancouver, one-bedroom apartment, nearly $3,000 a month. That is the average rent in the city of Vancouver for a two-bedroom, nearly four thousand dollars a month who can afford this i've got carl eaton standing by to discuss here he's a single dad looking for an affordable place to rent for him and his son now have a listen to this here first as on yesterday's show i spoke to melanie mcdermott now she's a single mom she's got four kids currently lives on the north shore yeah she can't find any place that she can afford with her family have a listen I've, you know, dropped the daycare for the summer, no summer camps. I'm just trying to spend less on the kids where I normally would invest in activities and extracurriculars for them. And yeah, it's been, it's been challenging because I don't really want to move out of the North Vancouver area if I don't have to, because it's just more destabilizing for the kids. It's important to me to try to make it work. Okay. So she's trying, she's looking and she's saying that the stuff that she's seeing out there just keeps going up, 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 and it's simply unaffordable for her. Let's check in with Carl Eaton now. Uh, Carl is a single dad. He's looking for an affordable rental for him and his son. Carl, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. I appreciate you being here again. And some of the listeners may remember you were on a couple of weeks back uh, talking about your situation. Carl, you still looking for a place? Uh, no, we might have got a place, uh, but uh, out of our reach. But my son has decided to uh, uh, delay going to post-secondary school and uh, work so we can have somewhere to live. We have no choice. I'm going to be cashing in some RSVs to help facilitate this. This is It's out of hand, and it's disgusting. How old is your son? 18. Just graduated. Just, he just... less than two weeks out of school. Right. We we talked about the last time he just graduated from high school and was his plan was to go to college this year though, correct? Originally? That's that's correct. Yeah, where was he hope where was he originally hoping to go to school for post secondary? Lang- Langara. Langara College. And now okay, so tell me what's going on. He you're saying that he's now cancelled that? He's gonna go he's gonna get a job instead. He's got a job already, yep. So that's what we have to do. We don't have much of a choice. Otherwise we can't even eat. The grocery bills are ridiculous. Gas, ridiculous. Everything is I'm at a loss of words, really. Uh, there's no nothing from our government. Whole cabinet shuffle going on. It hopes to alleviate something that's been going on for 10 years. How ridiculous. Now, how do you feel about that? Because I, I know, you know, your son had been planning to go to college, and now he's got to get a job. So he's got a full... He's gone to work to help pay the rent. 
Correct. Right. Full time. That's correct. Yeah. How does he and feel, about, feel that? about that? I feel I feel terrible. He's now my roommate. How disgusting yeah. is that? What kind of a parent is that? Like, I, you know, I, I don't know. I shouldn't put myself down, but it's. I feel bad. I feel bad. You know, like you should still have a. I don't know. Still be he's still a teenager for God's sakes. Yeah. I know I had a part time job, but it wasn't. For, I wasn't forced to do that. You know, I paid for my my own stuff, some of my own clothing and stuff when I was younger and that. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how people can afford the rent that's going on right now. Where, where's all this money coming from, people? You know, like, who are these people? Yeah, I know. I'm just who can afford like three thousand bucks a month for a one bedroom or four thousand dollars a month for a two bedroom? That, that's what I find astonishing. And you're a guy, you're a working guy, and you've got a good job. Can you remind the listeners how much do you make a year? Yeah, I make about seventy-four thousand dollars a year. I work for Telus full time for the last eighteen years. Yeah, building our uh, fiber optics network infrastructure. Yeah, so you've got a good so, job, you got a well-paying job, and yet you still can't afford a place. And you were looking, you were looking everywhere, not just in the city of Vancouver, but all around the whole region, right? Absolutely. And I yeah. don't know if it's such a well-paying job anymore in today's climate. Yeah. Gas, food, and rent. No, I'm. I'm. Am I now? Is that is that minimum wage then? Is that where we're at? Because they're saying minimum wage needs to be at thirty-one dollars right now just to be able to survive. Yeah. That's what how kind crazy of, it is. What, I know you were looking for a two-bedroom for you you and your son. What kind of rents were you seeing out there for a two-bedroom? Exactly what you said. 3000 4000 5000 And mostly what's out there is is single rooms in places for 1850 for a single room in a shared space. And a 10 by 10 room at that, 1850 in an apartment. Yeah. That's mostly what's out there is people offering furnished stuff. So what they would... They don't even want you to bring your own furniture. Come in with a knapsack or a suitcase. One of the crazy things here as well is that you take a look at some of these numbers. I think they, the rents seem to be going up so quickly. Like you, The last time you were on, have the rents seemed to have gone up even in the short period of time since then? Like It's almost like they're going up on a daily basis. Yeah, it is. It's gone up by 400 bucks already. Since since I since we started this whole I started this whole thing, and yeah. I'm not the only person. I've had a lot of people reach out to me right now, you know, through Facebook and stuff, and freaking out and oh, all kinds of concerns. It's been really crazy. Okay, so you say you you figure you found like with your son helping to pay, you figure you you found a place you can afford. Is that right? We 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 have, we have yeah yeah. Where where is how much are you paying there at the place you found? It's gonna uh, to Bernoulli, It's gonna be about nineteen hundred. Nineteen sixty-five, almost two thousand. Okay, well that's not bad. Well, in today's climate, it's not bad, but yeah. in real life, it is bad. Yeah. Right. It's not like everybody's raise, everybody's salaries are going higher. Nobody's making more money, and not a, not a regular person, not a regular worker. What do you think needs to be done? Because we've talked before about, well, could you get into a co-op? That's very difficult, almost impossible to get in a co-op. Can you get into some sort of social housing? But the, the loophole there is you make too much money to qualify for social housing, right? That's correct. Yeah, and it's, uh, the, the Minister of Housing got a hold of my email that I sent on June 14th, and he, he finally responded last week, and all he sent me was links to to BC Housing, which he knows full well that I cannot uh, qualify for, and links to homelessness for out, outreach workers. And he said that's the best we can offer. And that's the Minister of Housing. Carl, thank you for coming on and telling your story again today. I appreciate it a lot. And I wish you all the best to you and your son. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, let's talk about street crime and disorder now, especially when it hits home for small businesses. So broken windows, graffiti, shoplifting, they're all driving big costs for small business. Now the B.C. government says it will spend $10.5 million to help repair the damage. We've talked a lot about this on the show. We've talked to lots of small business owners who are fed up with the damage, the broken windows, the vandalism at their businesses. We've got John Boychuk standing by to discuss. Have a listen here first to Sunan Spriggs. Now, Sunan has been a guest on the show in the past. She owns the City Lux Boutique in Vancouver, and the windows at her place have been smashed multiple times. Have a listen. Well, we're lucky because we have invested in windows that are very difficult to break. Um, again, these windows are very expensive. So 
you know, and now we're going to have to look at other measures to put in place, other potentially a gate or some kind of additional security, but it's going to come at the cost of us. Our landlord's not going to cover it. So now we're having to spend, you know, up to tens of thousands of dollars putting in additional security just to protect ourselves. And this is, it's just not fair. Okay. So her place has seen uh, windows smashed there multiple times. She's now looking at thousands of dollars for increased security. Let's check in with John Boychuk now. John is the owner of Davy Village Tan on Davy Street. Very pleased to welcome John back to the show. John, thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you, and good morning. Hey, good morning to you, John. You can remind the listeners, where is, your, where is Davy Village Tanning located again, how long you, and how long have you get, been down there? Uh, Davy Village Tanning opened up in 1985, and ah. I've been an owner there for almost 25 years myself, and we're between Burrard and Thurlow on the south side there at 1060 Davy. So we're, we're in the middle of a block that uh, has, you know, nightclubs around us, uh, lots of restaurants, some mom-and-pop shops, yeah. and it's, uh, it, it's, it still has that neighborhood feel, if you could say. Yeah, for sure, and you've been a part of that neighborhood for, for a long time, so I congratulate you on that. So, John, let's talk about some of the stuff that's happened at your business there. How many times have your, have your windows been smashed? Uh, windows, doors, uh, in the last three years, we've had a total of seven break-ins. Oh, no. Oh, oh yeah, my God. I think the, this has the, gone the up since the last time. To, the, oh. the, the insurance company doesn't want to hear from us anymore because they, they, they just don't cover. They don't. And, and I get it because every time there's a break-in and you get the deductible, great, but then that reflects on your next insurance policy, and at a certain point, it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. So each time it happens, it costs me anywhere from 1200 to $1,500 to do the repairs. Uh, we've made investments. We've put in deterrence. I've got cameras. I've got bright lighting. I've got security gates. I've got the window film on. Uh, the last time we had a break-in, we had a guy with a sledgehammer just pound away at the front door to get a hole through to be able to get into the business. So does it still happen? Yes. Is there a little less? I'm seeing a little less crime on the street, but there's still broken windows on Davy every week. Yeah. Yeah, John, what are they, when these knuckleheads do this, when they break in, break your doors, break your windows, they go in and rip stuff off in the place, or what do they do? The last break-in that we had, the individual was um, basically grabbing whatever they could for a quick sale. They got in, went in behind the, the front desk. I had a toolbox-style container that had tanning bed parts in it that are very unique to, to my industry. Uh, microchips, um, capacitors, stuff like that, electronics, and he stole that. And that was all he stole. And th- that box was worth like $5,000. But oh. guess what? It can't sell it. It's not worth anything. Maybe the Allen key that was in it, he could have got 50 cents for. But you know that, that was a big hit to take as, uh, as a business. But the good thing is this, is they had forensics come on down. They did a swab. They sent it off. Four months later, they got a DNA hit. They arrested the gentleman and were proceeding with charges. Wow. Well, yeah. that, that's that's so really, that's really good. Work. Really good to hear. That's really good to hear. But the other thing that occurs to me, I'm listening to your story there. Like, you know, someone calls, comes in and, and steals uh, some tanning bed parts. I mean, this just doesn't. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, what is the point of it? You know, point of this. Like, what kind of stuff can they steal from a tanning salon that could possibly have any value on the street? I mean, do you have other stuff in there that's valuable yeah. that they steal? Absolutely, absolutely. We had to remove a lot of our merchandise out of the front windows because we had swimwear, pride okay. gear, flip flops behind the counters, yeah. all skin care, moisturizers, tanning accelerators. Again stuff that we're the only ones that sell so they're not going to be able to take it to another tanning salon it's going to end up somewhere at a flea market who knows where being sold off for pennies on the dollar so it's 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 disheartening but at the same time as a small business the impact that it has on our bottom line is is 
you can't recover from it. You can't. Yeah. It, it, the, the, the margins are so slim that it can determine whether a business stays or goes. Speaking of John Boychuk, John's the owner of Davy Village Tanning on Davy Street about the multiple break-ins at his place. So uh, you mentioned when you file an insurance claim, you know, your insurance company's sick of hearing from you. Do you even bother filing a claim now if you have another broken window? No, the, the last four I haven't claimed at all because yeah. there's no point. The insurance company's just not interested. So yeah. luckily, though, since our last break-in, which was in February... Uh, crime has gone down. We right. still have the video cameras where they you know, uh, alert me when somebody is peeking in the windows that uh, spending too long or trying the doors. And those are down to just a couple of times a week. But it's still a couple of times a week where my business is being uh, scoped out for a potential break-in. Yeah. Yeah. How much does all this cost you, do you figure, all these repairs? Lost merchandise, repairs, uh, and increased security measures has probably come out somewhere around $28,000 in the last three years. Yeah. Okay, 28000 bucks out of your pocket. And what do you think now about the B.C. government here saying, okay, we're going to help out here? So the government's announcing $10.5 million in a program announced yesterday to help small businesses like yourself that's going through vandalism graffiti you know graffiti broken windows is a big one do you think that's do you welcome that announcement absolutely uh small businesses in any form of help are it's greatly appreciated it's you know we're, we're not here to take advantage of programs but ones that came out from the city of vancouver to help out the small businesses through the business improvement associations yeah we applied for that 500 dollar one-time grant to be able to offset some of the costs and it was fantastic because $500 basically you know is a, a, a uh, covering employees wages or it's covering the, the the loss or the increased security by 10% but yeah. that's 10% that I can put back into the business at a certain point. John, I, I'm very grateful to you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for coming on. Continued success to you in, in Davy, the Davy Village there. I hope you're there a long time. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Okay, $10.5 million. That's how much the B.C. government is spending on this program to help small businesses that have suffered losses through crime, especially broken windows, vandalism. Let's check in with the official opposition now. Peter Millibar, uh, B.C. United MLA, official opposition finance critic. Peter, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Always good to be on, Mike. I appreciate it a lot. Peter, this is something you've been calling for. Are you happy to see this program? Well, I think we're happy to see the program. Uh, You know, Todd Stone brought forward a private member's bill back in April. Uh, The government didn't want to talk about it or debate it uh, at that time. They were really downplaying uh, what we were hearing from the business community in terms of the impacts of these repeated um, uh, attacks on their businesses, be it through theft or just uh, wanton vandalism and broken windows and graffiti. Um, and so, you know, it's good to see a program that's going to be retroactive back to January. So if the government's now recognizing it was a problem back in January, it's interesting they, they didn't in April. Um, but, you know, really the big problem right now is is here we waited months and months for this announcement. Uh, no detail on the announcement, no clarity around whether it's $2,000 once or $2,000 per incident that you can document. Um, you know, any of those types of timelines, they say sometime in the fall, there'll be the application process, no indication of how quickly the money will get turned around and, and no indication of what happens when it's oversubscribed. Because as we saw with the, the recent e-bike program that rolled out, uh, that was oversubscribed within a week and uh, people didn't get any clarity and were sitting around waiting for almost a month to find out there was no more money left. And so... Um, their management of these programs, I think, is the bigger worry and, and, and issue moving forward. Okay, so I think those are some really good points. And when you talked about $2,000, just taking a look at some of the details that have been released on the program. So if a, a, a small business has suffered a loss like this, where it's vandalism, broken windows, they can apply for some of this money, and it's they can receive up to... $2,000 for the cost of repairs. So your point is, is, is can they just apply for 
one repair? What if they have multiple repairs? We don't know. Well, exactly. And, and I mean, okay. let's be clear. I think businesses will take any help they can possibly get. Um, yeah. but, but as you just heard from your previous guest, other guests you've had on, I mean, these costs of, of the repairs that they're uh, experiencing repeatedly, um, and a lot of times by the same t- uh, vandals. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, I think really what business communities would like to see is this short-term uh, help, but, but a longer-term vision in terms of how to try to get the disorder and chaos on our streets and our business districts under control because there's been a lot of talk about the, the repeat uh, violent offender, the prolific violent offender. There's a lot of prolific uh, uh, property damage type offenders that are out there that are causing a lot of this problem in these business communities yeah. and the government doesn't want to take any action uh, towards trying to rein uh, those actions in. Why should taxpayers pay for this? Like if someone opens a small business and their windows get smashed, it not, it's not like this is a new phenomenon that's been around forever. So why should taxpayers pay for that? I mean, isn't that part of the risk you take? It's a cost of doing business that sometimes th- these things happen. Why should I pay for that as a taxpayer? I've got nothing to do with this business. Why should it be on my tab? Well, we've said all along it needs to be a short-term program that that helps to backstop the changes that we need to see in terms of dealing with these types of of incidents and and, uh, the repetitiveness of them. We've never seen uh, disorder and chaos in our business communities uh, like we're seeing now. And and the government needs to take stronger action dealing with, again, these these prolific uh, property uh, crime-type offenders that are out there as well. Uh, it's it's uh, unprecedented levels in all of these areas. Uh, yes, they, people dealt with broken windows from time to time, but they didn't yeah. deal with uh, three or four incidents in, in within a year, yeah. if not a couple of months of each other. And so you layer that with the shoplifting. We don't know, will this qualify? If, if you've seen a spike in shoplifting in your store, will you be able to access the $2,000? Uh, we're not sure about that. And so, again... Mm. I think the frustration will build uh, because, once again, what we've seen with this government is a grand announcement that's taken months to get to uh, with no detail. And then telling us okay. wait another three months for detail simply doesn't cut it. Peter, thank you for your time today. Great, thank you. I appreciate it. BC United MLA, Peter Millobar there. Let's go to your phone calls and see what, see what the listeners think. Mike on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Mike, what do you think? Hey, Mike, I've lived in Vancouver since the 60s. I remember the days of foot patrols. Where are the foot patrols? Where are the boots on the road? That All I see is police driving around in their cars looking at their computers. Where are the bike patrols? They seem to have disappeared off the road. You know, hmm. there needs to be intensive camera coverage downtown. I, I come from part of South London where camera the crime rate was high and they put camera coverage in with a central... Uh, for, um, camera location to view it all and the crime rate dropped by 80%. It was just amazing. Mike, thank you for the call. I've, I've heard and this I from a lot of people. Yeah. Thank you, Mike, for the call. I've, I've heard frequently from people who said they'd like to see more beat cops on the street, for sure. Mike and Vernon. Hi, Mike, what do you think? Oh, good morning. Uh, Peter Millibar basically covered a lot of what I was going to say. This is a Band-Aid solution. It's not going to fix the problem. The problem needs to be fixed then, then we get away from this. I, I, I sympathize with these businesses 100%. I mean, it's horrible for them to try and make a living, to run a business with sky-high taxes, inflation, and everything else, and then have to deal with this as well. But we need to get these people off the streets. It's not about anything other than that. It's public safety. It's one of the basic tenements that government is supposed to be responsible for, and they're not being. Um, yeah. Your your last um, your last uh, caller made a really good point. Beat cops, cameras. Yeah. Now with artificial intelligence coming into play, we can have cameras all over the place. Use AI that can actually pick up when someone is actually committing a crime versus standing there looking at a window. I mean, AI is is going to be capable of that. I'm not a big fan of AI. But those are certain places where I can see stuff, stuff like that could be coming. Th- thank you, thank you, Mike, for a good call. I think you raised a lot of good points. Let's squeeze in one more. Blair in Qualicum Beach. Blair, you got thirty seconds here. Okay, go ahead. Hey, Mike. All those ideas are great. I agree with them. But as last guy said, solve the problem. People got to stand together and demand 
that guys like Farnsworth and that, that coddle these criminals, because you can catch them all you want. If you release them, they're back the next day. So let's get these guys fired out of their Farnsworths of the world and get people in there that are interested in helping the public and these poor people with their businesses. All right, let's talk about police liaison officers in BC schools now. Now, many school districts in British Columbia have had these programs in place for decades. Police officers assigned to high schools, visit these schools, liaise with students, help out students in trouble. But lots of opposition to these programs as well. Now, remember what happened in Vancouver. The former Vancouver School Board voted to cancel the police and schools programs, uh, and police were removed from Vancouver high schools. Then the newly elected, the new school board came in and reversed that decision. So police officers set to return to Vancouver high schools starting this fall. Now, the original decision to remove police officers from Vancouver schools, obviously disappointing the Vancouver Police Department. Listen to Tanya Visenton here, who is a spokesperson for the VPD. SLOs have been in our Vancouver schools for decades. Not only did they um, or were responsible for uh, the safety of the students and responding to incidents that would occur, they were also involved in programs, running clubs. They were coaches on sports teams. They led safety initiatives. Okay, the latest on this file now, the city of Victoria, their school board has voted to remove police officers from schools in Victoria. I've got Dave Hockley standing by. He's a former school principal in Victoria. First, have a listen here to the police chief in neighboring Saanich, where this uh, pro- this decision also took effect, disappointing the police chief there. Have a listen. Last night's decision to cancel the school liaison officer program uh, is very disappointing. As you all know, uh, the Sanchez Police Department has been involved in school liaison work for decades. Our officers' primary focus is, again, to build relationships, to build connections. All right, let's discuss this issue now with my guest, Dave Hockley. Dave is a former school principal in Victoria, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Dave, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, Good morning, Mike, and I really appreciate the uh, opportunity here. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I, I appreciate it a lot. So, Dave, how long were you a school principal? Uh, well, I was in administration for 10 years, and uh, I was a school principal for seven and a half years. Uh, I retired as a school principal. Um, so I spent most of my time in the classroom, but I did have the opportunity to become an administrator and, and take a look at uh, a different uh, part of the education system. Okay, that's a really interesting career you've had there. And I know that over those years, you had a lot of opportunity to experience this program, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Like, what kind of what kind of involvement did you have with these police liaison programs in schools? Well, I, you know, as a, as a classroom teacher, I'll go back to the classroom teacher first. Um, sure. Uh, I, I had lots of opportunities. I've taught at the high school level, the junior high school level, and the uh, elementary level. And um, I was in contact with the police liaison officers all through my career. And uh, as a a, um, classroom teacher, I would often have them come into my classroom, particularly in the high school level, although I did so with the uh, lower grades too, um, to discuss things that I thought the kids needed to hear about. And, um, And the liaison officer willingly would come in, have a chat about uh, whatever the scenario was, and then uh, open up to uh, student uh, questions. Um, so that was at, uh, in my classroom. Um, as um, an administrator, um, I was involved in certain classroom situations with uh, liaison officers, but mostly I was uh, interested in the programs they offered uh, so that I could uh, let my staff um, know, uh, become fully aware of what the potential offerings, offerings were and how to uh, go about getting that set up. So, um, you know, that, that, uh, that was uh, inclusion that uh, was uh, incredibly important for uh, the school as a whole. And yeah. um, also, um, I would meet frequently with the liaison officers uh, in my office. They'd come in to have a chat um, and uh, they would fill me in on certain scenarios that were going on in the community that the school served. And uh, so gave me a chance to ask questions. Uh, about um, how things were being resolved and how 
that might affect the school and perhaps how could the school help in the in that uh, particular situation. So uh, communication with them is ongoing. They're in and out of the school all the time and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed having them uh, present there serving our school. Yeah. Speaking of Dave Hockley, Dave is a former school principal, school administrator in Victoria, talking about the decision to cancel the police liaison officer program in Victoria schools. So, Dave, you would say that the program was a positive for you. Do you think it was it was good for the school, good for the kids? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, when I read and heard about uh, what the school school um, uh, board was going to do, I was well horrified because uh, my connection with uh, with these liaison officers and the um, the kinds of things that we did uh, or they did in the schools to support uh, what was needed in the schools. Um, I was very much in support of them. I never had a, a negative thing to say about them. And uh, so I wondered where they were getting this um, this information that uh, indicated it was not a good thing to have in the school. So um, my support was there and uh, certainly was worried when I read and heard about what they uh, were anticipating to do and have actually followed through with. Did you ever receive any complaints about the police officers in the schools, either from students or, or parents? Because one of the arguments for removing the police officers from schools is that some students feel unsafe with police officers in the school. They don't, ha- they don't feel they have a positive relationship with police officers, especially if they come from like a, a racialized minority community, if if they're a, like a black students or indigenous students might have a negative history with police and their families, and they didn't feel, you know, they didn't feel comfortable or safe with police officers in schools and they shouldn't be there. Did you ever get any kind of complaints or concerns like that? No, I, I actually had the exact opposite. Um, I think any of the kids that were a bit anxious were maybe kids that had been involved with police in, in other ways, uh, maybe doing some things they shouldn't have been doing. Um, that might have created some, some anxiety. Um, yeah. But when the uh, police officers were in the school, they would connect with these kids and that anxiety level would drop uh, almost immediately. Um, the, the police officers knew how to handle certain situations um, and kids that, uh, as I mentioned, were a bit on the anxious side. Within within uh, two or three meetings with these uh, police officers, uh, it was turned around and, and uh, uh, these kids really did appreciate what was done for them, uh, particularly to get them out of uh, scenarios that were um, less than satisfactory. So uh, I, I never heard a negative co- uh, complaint. I was in a, an inner city school where a lot of mm. the so-called marginalized uh, population of students uh, were attending the school. Um, yeah. And um, and they were just so excited to see the, the, uh, the constables in the school and interacted in a very positive way. So I, I really cannot think of anything negative at all. Yeah, do you think that, I mean, I've talked to a lot of uh, police officers who, had these jobs who were police liaison officers in schools. I've talked to students. I've talked to students on both sides of it. We've had both sides of it here on the show. And I've talked to kids who have uh, been uncomfortable with police officers in the schools. But I've also talked to kids who said that I had very positive experiences with these with these officers. And in some cases, officers helped helped out a kid that was really in trouble, like a kid who was being bullied or a kid who was being abused at home and they felt they could go to this officer and and disclose that to them and get help in your career dave did you ever did you ever see anything like that you ever see any police officers like help out help out kids who are in trouble oh i certainly did the scenarios that you just referred to i saw uh, numerous times uh with the uh particularly with the inner city school i was at um uh, situations at home uh, situations at school. Uh, you mentioned bullying; that was a, a big issue. Um, yes, I did, and uh, and I and and I would call upon the um, the liaison officers to help me with the situation because they were trained in dealing with this kind of scenario, uh, which may have been above and beyond um, the kinds of things that I was able to do in the school. And I would sit and discuss the students uh, of concern, and uh, away they went and uh, did exactly. Um, the kinds of things that um, I was hoping they would do. Yeah. And turning students around was something that was um, obvious to me over and over and over again. 
Hey, Dave, last question for you. It's interesting in, in Vancouver, we saw them originally take a very similar decision to what Victoria just did. They canceled the program. Then you had a new school board come in and do a rethink on it and, and reverse that decision. And now Vancouver police officers set to return to Vancouver schools in the fall. They've done some changes to the program. Do you think that, I mean, what is your hope here? Do you think Victoria does a, a rethink on it too and bring the police officers back? Oh, hugely. Yes. I, yeah. I have spoken to uh, a number of um, friends of mine that I taught with, uh, friends of mine that are administrators, and every single one of them, no matter whether it's District 61, 63, 62 in this, in this area, all of them have um, uh, indicated how disappointed they've been with the school board decision here in Victoria School District 61, and, um, and how how is uh, something that should never ever uh, have happened and hopefully will be reversed because they have all seen the benefits of it just like I have. And it's, I can't really understand why anybody would uh, want to remove them from the schools. Dave, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure, Mike. Mike thank you so much. Here we go now with the debate over the Yale Town overdose prevention site. Now, this has been the most controversial supervised drug consumption site in the city. Lots of neighborhood residents there have been opposed to this facility, have been fighting it. But there's lots of supports for it, too, especially with the high overdose death rate in this part of the city. City Hall officials now say they have heard the complaints in the neighborhood, though. The lease on the facility will not be renewed. Is this the right decision? Will a replacement facility open up in this part of the city? Where will it be located? Okay, we've got both sides of it here for you. I got city councilors Christine Boyle, Mike Klassen standing by here. Let's listen first to their colleague here, city councilor Peter Meisner on the reaction in the neighborhood to this facility. Have a listen to this. I field several emails a day uh, from neighbours who are concerned about uh, how uh, things have uh, quickly deteriorated outside the site. Uh, so that's everything from uh, needles, uh, camping on the sidewalk, uh, fights, uh, street disorder, uh, garbage, uh, drug paraphernalia. Uh, and it is an area with a lot of families. Okay. Supporters of the site, though, say there are a lot of people dying from drug overdoses there, and they say cl closing the site down will actually make things worse in the neighborhood. Let's discuss it now, both sides of it for you. Mike Klassen, Vancouver City Councillor. He is with the ABC Slate of Candidates at City Hall. Mike, thanks for coming on today. Good morning, Mike. Okay, I appreciate it a lot. Also on the line, Vancouver City Councillor Christine Boyle. Christine is with the One City Party at Vancouver City Hall. Councillor, thank you. Glad to be here. Okay, councillors, I'm very grateful to both of you. Let me go to you first, Councillor Boyle. Can you give me your thoughts on this decision here now to not renew the lease on the Yale Town overdose prevention site? What do you think? Absolutely. So, look, we know that this site is small. It doesn't include space for people to line up when they're waiting. It doesn't include space for people to uh, sit and rest for a moment after they've accessed the life-saving health services that it provides. So uh, I am very supportive of a larger site being found. What I'm concerned about is if we don't find a larger site or if there's a gap between when a new site is available and this one closes down, that actually the impact on the neighborhood would be quite a bit worse than what we're seeing now and the impact on people who rely on these life-saving services could be, you know, devastatingly fatal. Um, and actually, I, I, I'm very glad to get this opportunity to chat with Councillor Klassen about it, because what I haven't been hearing from ABC, and I'm very interested to hear from him on, is what the plan is. What's the mm -hmm. plan in the neighbourhood to fill that gap, to address impacts, which, which will continue without a site um, and to keep people alive. Okay, City Councillor Mike Klassen, what do you say to that? Uh, well, thanks, Mike. So basically, the first thing that uh, the public and the neighbourhood has to know is that the, uh, this Thomas uh, Donahue uh, overdose over prevention site is actually um, uh, run by Vancouver Coastal Health. And so it 
the Vancouver Coastal Health VCH are really responsible for finding the more uh, suitable location for this one. Um, and uh, the decision was not a council decision, so that's clear as well. This is an operational decision by city staff. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, as, uh, as Councillor Boyle points out, uh, it, the facility itself was not suitable. But, you know, Mike, you and I have known each other for a long time. I, I sort of consider myself a roll-up-your-sleeves community guy, and, and uh, if I have um, problems in my community, that's when I have to uh, take action. And uh, what we saw for a long time is uh, violence, um, public safety issues that were a threat to people in the community, um, and that had to that has to stop. I mean, it's still going on until we um, the, the the lease ends in the in the spring. But um, you know, I know that if I was down there and I was a neighbor, I would be um, making a lot of noise. Um, and uh, I think that we have a responsibility to create social license for these kinds of facilities, so the whole community could support them. And um, by sort of shoehorning them into a small space, allowing uh, and the operator allowing them just to sort of sit outside, you know, we've seen videos of machete fights and things like that. It's crazy. And so we have to protect the neighborhood and we also have to make sure that people get life-saving services. And so that's the, the, the job now of Vancouver Coastal Health. Okay, Councillor Boyle, what do you say to that? Um, well, I'm, I'm still waiting for an answer as to what the plan is. Of course, um, it's a health facility and Vancouver Coastal plays a key role, but the city plays a key role too. And so I, I would ask again, and, and I know Mike is, is good at spin, but I'm curious to get a clear answer. If Vancouver Coastal Health finds a new site in Yaletown where we know the services are needed in that neighbourhood, Will ABC support the new site? You know, uh, first of all, I'm not the one who's playing politics with this issue. Um, uh, This issue is about trying to save people's lives and also make sure that the community is safe and well taken care of. I mean, if you have an idea yourself, uh, Councillor Boyle, uh, by all means, put put it forward. But the fact is, is that these are uh, operational decisions by city staff in terms of uh, land use. And and, uh, at the end of the day, Vancouver Coastal Health has a responsibility. And there's been an acknowledgement um, uh, at many levels, including with the provincial government, that what we're doing there is not working. So we have to find a we have to find a place where these kinds of uh, this kind of street disorder does not happen. The violence, um, the uh, the fighting at all hours, uh, keeping people awake. I mean, we really have to think about the whole community, not just okay. part of it. And that's I think the the real uh, job at hand here is to work together with the coastal health, the provincial government, and find the right place for these kinds of services to be okay. delivered. Okay, Councillor Councillor Boyle, you made the the point earlier on that you feel that, and I've heard this from supporters of the facility, other supporters of the facility as well, that if you shut it down, you could actually make the situation in the neighborhood even worse. Can you can you tell me your your concern there, your fear there? Sure, absolutely. So um, the the current site is not perfect. It could be better. It needs more space. It, it also could benefit from having space for. Inhalation services, we're seeing a lot, um, a a heartbreaking number of drug poisoning deaths um, from inhalation, Um, but it's saving lives um, and it's saving lives of people who are also our residents, who are also uh, neighbors and part of the community in Yale Town and who deserve support and care to survive. Um, my concern is before this site existed, there was a mobile site in the neighborhood. Mobile OPS services um, provide a really valuable service in many neighborhoods, but uh, what Vancouver Coastal told us at the time was that it, it wasn't large enough. Um, and of course, if the concern from ABC and others is that this site uh, isn't big enough and there's spill out onto the street, reverting to a mobile site would be worse on that front. So again, I, I just, um, I think the lack of a plan uh, is worse for everyone. And, and that lack of leadership is a, a real gap that isn't going to help anyone in the community. Folks who use the site 
or folks who are concerned about its impacts. Okay, we got a few more minutes here discussing the Yaletown Overdose Prevention Site. The lease is being cancelled there next year at the site, the controversial site in Yaletown. My guests are Vancouver City Councillors Christine Boyle, Mike Klassen. Okay, Councillor Klassen, uh, Councillor Boyle made the point before the break there. She feels that shutting the site down could create uh, even more turmoil in the neighbourhood, especially if they revert to a, a mobile overdose prevention facility. What do you think of that argument that it could be worse down there in that Yaletown neighborhood after this? Well, no, it's just more playing politics with the issue. And and, uh, Councillor Boyle knows that a mobile unit is not coming back here. And she also knows that we just passed a pilot, a pilot for an inhalation site, the first in Vancouver. Inhalation sites, you just don't open them up. They need proper ventilation. They need proper space for the for the um, healthcare workers in the in the facilities to be safe. Um, this was an inappropriate spot. Um, mental health and addictions is the biggest crisis, one of the biggest crises uh, of our time right now, and the city is being hit very hard by it right now. But um, when you talk about things getting worse, I don't know how it gets worse than people swinging machetes around outside that building. Uh, so I think we really need to take care of the, the public. We need to take care of everybody. Uh, but we also have to really uh, push hard with the province and Vancouver Coastal Health to respond, to make sure that they find a proper site to provide these services. There are many, many overdose prevention sites in the, in the city. None of them have this kind of uh, chaos happening outside of it. So I would, think it's would really you- important. Would yeah, you it's therefore that we get the that we get the, the the health authority to get to to get to work on that? Would you would you therefore agree, Mike, that with Councillor Boyle, that another site is needed in that na- in that region, in that neighborhood, in that area? If there is one, it's going to have to be one that does not spill it onto the street. And um, the fact is, is that these sites are being set up and the operators are either not willing or not equipped to be able to take care of the disorder that's caused, being caused by them. Of course, there are people in all of, in all of our communities that have, uh, need these help, but they're, they also have to um, take some responsibility themselves. And, and we're not seeing that. So I think it's really important that we, uh, again, get the, the health authority to come to us with their plan on making sure that they have a, an appropriate okay. facility and the city will work with them. Councillor Boyle, what do you say to that? So the, the Yaletown OPS was created in that neighbourhood uh, because that neighbourhood was seeing the second highest number of drug poisoning deaths outside of the downtown east side. It's used by residents in that neighbourhood. It's a community health facility. The inhalation site that Mike just referenced is a 35-minute walk away from there, Um Health facilities are needed in every neighborhood. But the other thing I just want to reiterate is that the drug poisoning crisis is impacting our residents. More than 3,000 Vancouver residents have died from the drug poisoning crisis since 2026. You know, it it is uh, people living in poverty or people who are homeless. It's Indigenous people. It's also disproportionately young men. A lot of people coming from trades and construction. These are our neighbours. Their families are our neighbours. And what I continue to see is a devastating shirking of responsibility from this mayor and ABC majority. They have a super majority. Uh, And these are our residents who are dying the city plays a role of course vancouver coastal does but the city also needs to show some leadership uh and um and i just keep feeling as you can hear incredibly frustrated uh, that they aren't taking that part of the crisis seriously councillor Claussen, what do you say to that you know, again, circling back to my earlier point, the social license is absolutely necessary for these things to, to really work. And uh, again, sort of the politic, the, the politicking on this, uh, the politicking on this is one thing, but the uh, the other thing is um, is that uh, um, we really do need to make sure that um, that the health authority plays a very strong role in this, coming back to us and making sure that we have uh, facilities like other ones that are actually working in the city. Uh, they don't kind of create this uh, this kind of disorder. And like I say, if this is in my neighborhood, I'd be hollering. It's because you cannot allow that kind of uh, public safety uh, concern to continue to, con- to to continue to exist. Wouldn't though every neighbor neighborhood be opposed to something like this? I mean, you talk about you need the social license here before it 
the facility can be put into a neighborhood. Like, where, what neighborhood is going to say, sure, put it here? Like, I don't know. I'm not familiar with a, a, any neighborhood in Vancouver that particularly wants one of these. Mike? I, I'll jump in, Mike, and say oh, okay, there's, an overdose, there's overdose prevention services in my neighborhood, um, and and they work well, and I, and I don't hear any complaints. Um, but okay. I, I just want to go back to, you know, uh, Mike saying, Councillor Klassen saying if this were his neighborhood, he would be in an uproar. What I don't hear, again, from this mayor and ABC majority, uh, is any kind of uproar about the hundreds of Vancouver residents who are dying in a in a drug crisis, um, and and Wait what they're going to do about that as well. Yeah, I'm sorry, Go ahead, Councillor. Go again, ahead, Councillor. The, the the unbridled politicking here is really frustrating. To suggest that we have no empathy, we don't care about this one. There is an enormous amount of work we have. Uh, our city uh, staff here spend a huge amount of time on re- responding to the needs of these uh, of the, in these communities, particularly around the issue of uh, addictions, mental health, and all the corresponding uh, public safety and other issues that happen as a result of them. So what we have right now is a site that was uh, it didn't work. Quite simply, it didn't work. Um, but it is a service that is very clearly needed in the community. So we have to find a better site for this that does not lead to such uh, public disorder and public safety concerns that put other okay. people in the community at threat. Okay, uh, Councillor Boyle, you get the last word here, you just, but you only have 30 seconds left. What would you say to the, the residents down there that oppose the facility? I agree we should be working together to address the concerns on the street, which aren't just related to this site, they're related to a crisis of homelessness as well. And uh, and we haven't, quite frankly, seen much leadership from the mayor and ABC on that front either. But I just want to jump back in my last seconds to say, I can't think of anything that's more politicking than trying to push off responsibility to someone else. What I keep asking okay. is, what's the plan? And And we're not hearing a plan. If you're doing so much work, point to it. Thank, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.